Well, if you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139, Psalm 139, and in a moment, Christine is going to read to us from verse 7 to verse 16. We are dealing with with a series, if you are new here this morning, we're dealing with a series called Controversial Issues. And uh, last week we looked at the topic, uh, the intolerance of the tolerant. And if you missed that, do go and uh, listen to it on our website. And uh, that's really an introduction to the whole series of where our culture is going. And uh, it's quite frightening where our culture is going. So if you didn't hear that, if you weren't here, then do listen to that on the website. Next week, we're going to have a look at what the Bible gives us. The Bible gives us principles, a framework for all of life. And so next week, we're going to have a look at the topic of LGBTQ. The week after that, we'll look at the roles of men and women. And then the last uh, week in our series, we'll be looking at, uh, at racism and race. This morning, we're looking at the topic of abortion. And uh, we're going to start off here in Psalm 139 and uh, see uh, what God has to say about the unborn child. Because here we have a wonderful passage speaking about the wonder uh, of, of the unborn child. So Psalm 139 and from verse 7 to 16, and Christina will read that to us, and then I'll pray. Just to check if you do have a small child or baby with you who gives you difficulty, it will really help me, it will help all of us. If you can slip out, there's a cry room with CCTV on your right-hand side. The verandas have got speakers, so if you can slip out and just check, check your uh, cell phone, just have a look, see, see that it's on silent. Thank you, Christina. Morning, church. Psalm 139, verses 7 to 16. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you again so much for the great joy and encouragement we get when we meet together as your people. We thank you, Father, that we are part of the covenant people of God, that we are part of a family. We thank you, Lord, that we can find love and support and encouragement uh, from each other. And we we pray that that may not only happen on Sunday mornings, but, Lord, throughout the week, that we may be committed to one another. And Father, we pray now as we deal with this, this difficult topic, we pray that you will help us to understand your word and you will help us to hold to the principles that you've given us for all of life. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. We're dealing with the topic of of abortion. Let me make five introductory comments. Number one, for some here this morning or listening on the website, this may be very emotional and it may be very painful talking, talking about abortion. My purpose is not to increase your pain or perhaps your guilt. That is certainly not my purpose at all. But I do want us to have a look at the principles, the framework that God gives us for all of life. 
and one of those areas is the area of abortion. Secondly, you need to know right at the start that as the rector of the church and representing our church, we are totally opposed to abortion under all circumstances, including rape and incest. Uh, the only exception would be where the life of the mother, the mortality of the mother, is at risk and a choice has to be made between the mother's life or the baby's life. That is very, very rare, but that would be the one exception. Thirdly, you need to know that as rector of this church, uh, I am totally convinced that women who have had unplanned pregnancies, especially if they're unmarried, need all our love and support. We are absolutely committed to young girls, older girls who fall pregnant, who may not be married, uh, to show them all the love and support that we can. I'm absolutely committed that we show all the love and support to those who have had an abortion because they in particular need our love and support and those who have caused an abortion. My, my prayer, my dream is that we could in time start a pregnancy help center so that uh, people in our church and people outside our church knows that this is a place where there's no stigma where there's love and care and support for those who have fallen pregnant, whatever the reason, or for those who have had an abortion, whatever the reason. We want to love those who are in pain. Number four, a key issue in this whole discussion is the question, is the unborn child a person or not? So we're going to spend a bit of time on that because that's one of the key questions and one of the key issues. And I'm absolutely convinced that the unborn child from conception is a human being, is a person, and deserves our love and our protection. Lastly, let me just say we are not speaking here about miscarriages, sometimes called spontaneous abortions. We are not speaking about that. Um, it is reasonably common in uh, life where women have miscarriages. Uh, my wife and I, we had four miscarriages. And I think actually in our culture, we minimize the grief that accompanies a miscarriage. And we need to rethink that. Uh, where there are miscarriages, a child has been lost. So we're not talking about miscarriages. We're not talking about spontaneous abortions. Let me give you our structure for this morning so that you know where we're going. We're going to have a look at some background and uh, so that we understand some of the background, some of the history, some of what's happening in our world. Um, secondly, we want to have a look at some biblical principles. Thirdly, we're going to have some slides. And uh, uh, the slides, most of the slides will be of the unborn child. And they're beautiful slides, absolutely beautiful. Um, and then, right at the end, I am going to look at five or six slides of what abortion is. And when we get to that, I'm going to warn you, so that if, if you would find that difficult, perhaps you've had an abortion, perhaps you've caused an abortion, perhaps you find it difficult seeing blood, then I will warn you to close your eyes so that you don't watch. And then there are five or six of those slides, and then I'll ask you to open your eyes. You do have to open your eyes, so um, there we go. And then lastly, we'll look at some common objections um, right at the end. So there's the structure. You know where we're going. Some of the background. According to the sources that I've looked at, you can look at them. They're on Google. Uh, sources like the World Health Organization, United Nations, Associated Press. There is somewhere between 50 and 56 million abortions per year. So that would mean 125,000 abortions per day. So that's the population of South Africa. So every year, there's around about 50 to 56 million abortions in our world. In China, there are 13 million per year. In India, there are 15 million per year. In the USA, the number has been dropping it used to be around about 1 million per year. It's now around about 680,000, 700,000 per year. 
In South Africa, uh, there is approximately 90,000 abortions per year. Worldwide, 25% of pregnancies end in abortion. 25%. That's one out of four. And that's, uh, the stats come from 2010 to 2014. Russia legalized abortion in 1920, which is quite understandable. That's when communism came into power in Russia. It's atheistic. And uh, um, in, in Russia, in 2001, from the statistics I have, every, for every one birth, there are two abortions. And in Russia, uh, Russian women have an average of over four, four to six abortions in their lifetime, sometimes up to 14. In places like China and India, there are many more girls aborted than boys. So in many cultures, boys are valued more than girls, which we would certainly oppose totally and completely. But uh, because families want a boy, and certainly in Certainly in China, where you had a one-child policy per family, it's now done away with, um, there would be many more abortions of girls than of boys. In fact, in the year 2000, for every 117 boys that were born, there were only 100 girls that were born. So there's a 17% difference in the abortion rate of boys and girls. In the UK and many other countries, but in the UK, girls aged 13 and above can have an abortion without notifying their parents or without the consent of their parents. So a 13-year-old girl, she can't drink alcohol, she can't smoke tobacco, she can't go to certain movies, but she can have an abortion without notifying her parents or getting the consent of her parents. The present mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, he's a Muslim man, he supports the uh, group called Abortion Rights UK, which argues that abortion is a basic human right and campaigns for abortion for any reason at any time, including sex selection abortion, abortion for disability, and late-term abortions. The United Nations Amnesty International campaign that access to abortion is a fundamental human right. You may know this, but on the 25th of February this year, 2019, the USA Senate would not pass a bill to protect the lives of children born alive after a failed abortion. So what that means is, is that if the intention was to have an abortion, so it's obviously a late-term abortion, and the abortion fails, meaning that the child is born alive. The Senate would not approve a bill which would protect the life of that live child. I quote, No doctor has a duty to provide medical care to a child born alive after an attempted abortion. It was a famous case in 1977 in the USA uh, where the abortion failed, the child was born, the child was alive, the child was left uh, in a room or a cupboard and only died 21 days after the child's birth and there is no legal protection for that child within the USA. As Al Mola said, we are living in a culture of death. We're living in a culture of death. And what you need to know is that if you agree with me, and I hope you do, but you have you have freedom of thought, of course, that we are in the minority, very much in the minority. Uh, there are very few countries, uh, there are very few people, uh, certainly in our Western world, who would agree with the argument that we hold to as Christians. A couple of years ago, I was invited to a debate at the Witz Medical School. Um, which is not the champion of Christian principles, and uh, with respect to those who come from Witz. And we had a debate on abortion. We had a lady who argued for abortion. Then they put me up to argue against abortion, pro-life. And as I was speaking and uh, going through um, my points, uh, people started heckling, people started shouting. People then started running towards me down the aisles shouting 
and the organizers quickly took me and took me out a back door, got me out of the building and off the property because they were scared there would be a riot. That's the context we live in. Now, I will do it again. I'll just need a few strong guys around here. <laughs> you better go to the gym. And uh, um, That's the world we live in, folks. That's the world we live in. We are in the minority. In South Africa, let's talk about South Africa. Abortion was legalized in 1996. A bill was passed called the Choice on Termination of Pregnancy Bill. The act defines abortion as the termination of a pregnancy, which means the separation and expulsion by medical or surgical means of the contents of the uterus of a pregnant woman. Now, just notice the terminology. The terminology dehumanizes the unborn child. It's not called a fetus, even. It's not even called an unborn child. It's called the contents of the uterus. Uh, so, so, so vocabulary terminology is important. That is dehumanizing the unborn child. In our country, according to that Act 1996, as amended, in the first 12 weeks, you can have an abortion. The pregnancy can be terminated for any or no reason. From week 13 to 20, you can terminate the pregnancy if there's a risk of injury to the woman's physical or mental health. You can terminate the pregnancy if, if there is a risk of the fetus having a physical or men mental abnormality. You can terminate the pregnancy if there is rape or incense, incest. You can terminate the pregnancy if it affects the social or emotional circumstances of the woman. In that particular article, you can drive a truck through. After 20 weeks, you can terminate the pregnancy if it endangers the woman's life or if it would result in severe malformation of the fetus, or if it poses a risk of injury to the fetus. According to the silence of the act, so it gives no timing, it would seem that an abortion could take place right up to the moment of birth. Now let me give you just a bit of philosophical background. So this is quite technical, and uh, try and stay with me because I'm going to pick this up again next week. It is critical to understand it, both in terms of abortion, transgender, LGBT, where the Western world is coming from. What is their thinking? So we're talking, uh, talking here about the Western world's thinking, worldview, um, when they approach these, these particular issues. So let me try and uh, show you where they're coming from on the board here. All right, so <clears throat> from a Christian worldview, we make no distinction um, between beliefs and facts. We believe that there is truth, and truth affects everything. Our Western world has taken on the dualism, actually, of Plato, Plato says the body is bad or evil and the spirit is good. And what our Western world has made, they've made a distinction. Francis Schaeffer used to talk about a two-story building. And at the bottom, the bottom story, the ground floor, you have facts. And those would be objective. Those would be universal that would be two and two is four. That would be maths. That would be chemistry. That would be physics. That would be the theory of relativity. Those are facts. They are objective. They are universal. But our Western world says there's another story in this building called values. And those values are subjective. They are relative. They are personal. So that would include your ethics, your morals, your beliefs. So our Western world holding to a dualism, which is not Christian at all, says there are certain things which are true, which are facts, but there are other things, such as your beliefs, your ethics, your morals, 
which are subjective, which are personal, and which are relative. Now, that is not the thinking of the Bible. The Bible says there is truth. There is absolute truth. And that truth applies to every area of life. We will find that truth both in our conscience. We will find that truth in the natural world around us. We will find that truth in God's Word. But God's Word doesn't just apply to this area. It applies to everything. People who hold to this dualism will say, you have your truth and I have my truth. So that's the kind of thinking you have. This is now transferred to the whole issue of personhood. What is a person? What is the nature of a person? And uh, what you have here is called the personhood theory, which um, has influenced uh, all issues of, of sexuality and, um, and gender. So they've taken this two-story picture and they've said there is one story, the lower story, which is human, and an upper story, which is person. Now, it's been around for quite a long time, but it was, exp it, it was specifically expressed in the, the court case in the U USA 1973 called Roe v. Wade. And the key judge, Judge Harry Blackman, said that an unborn fetus is not a person. So a distinction is made. The human is a scientific fact. A human is the unborn child, is you, is me. But the human is not a person. The human, to be called a person has to meet certain requirements, has to earn the right to be a person. So you could argue that if you have a disabled child in the womb, that is not a person. It's a human being, mentally disabled, physically disabled. Therefore, you can have an abortion. Now, that is an arbitrary distinction. There's no, there, there's no scientific basis for making this distinction whatsoever. What you then have is you have a human non-person. And therefore, you can do with a human non-person anything you like. It not only affects abortion, it affects euthanasia. So if you look at the, the Canadian laws on euthanasia, they are becoming more and more frightening. And we may get to a point where someone who has dementia or Alzheimer's or who is over a certain age is no longer a person but a human. And therefore, we can do away with that old person. And the older I get, the more worried I am about that. <laughs> so, this is, not, this is not a biblical definition whatsoever. Throughout the Bible, being your body and soul, you can't separate the two. God becomes flesh. There's nothing wrong with flesh. God affirms flesh. God becomes flesh in the person of his son. Jesus is physically resurrected. The body is not bad or evil. The body is part of who we are. I don't say my mouth is eating. I say I am eating. I don't say my eye is seeing. No, I say I am seeing. Why? Because my body is part of who I am. You can't, you can't divorce the two. So the tragedy with abortion is that the state, which is, has the most power, uh, can determine where you draw the line. And that line could be drawn anywhere. There's no magical moment uh, that you can say that is the moment where the human being becomes a person. There's no such thing. It's a continuum from conception to birth to death. It's a continuum. And the Bible never makes this kind of distinction whatsoever. A human being is a person from conception. So the kind of reasoning you would have is someone like James Watson of DNA fame. He would say that after a child is born, you can, the child only becomes a person three days after birth because it takes three days to check out if there are any genetic deformities. His colleague, Francis Crick, 
says you need to have a number of tests after the child is born. You need a number of tests to decide whether this human being is a person. And Peter Singer, who's the professor of ethics at Princeton, says you should give it two to three years. You should give it two to three years to decide whether this human being is a person. So, so you can see it's totally arbitrary. There's no, there's no scientific place uh, where you draw the line. There's no empirical evidence. It's a philosophical decision. So uh, James Watson says three days, and Peter Singer says, says three years. Who's to say? The Bible says we are human beings from conception. And therefore, human beings ought to have the protection that any person, any human being should have. Now, we're going to come back to this next week because this is critical, uh, this personhood theory. The one who explains it the best, she's a lady called Nancy Piercy, uh, P-E-A-R-C-E-Y, and she's written a book, fantastic book, Love Thy Body. And uh, so if you want to do some work on that, that is a brilliant book. You can, you can order it from Amazon. Nancy Piercy, Love Thy Body. Love Thy Body, in my case, it's too late. All right, let's have a look at some biblical principles. Genesis chapter 1. Turn to Genesis 1, verse 26. Key principle... <clears throat> Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man, so there's a reference there to the Trinity, let us, two persons in the Godhead, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So what is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying we are not just the product of evolution. We are not just the product of blind, purposeless forces. We're not just the product of mutation. No. We are made in the image of God. We have infinite value. We have unsurpassed dignity, both men and women. Why? Because we bear the marks of God. So if God is a personal, infinite God, then those who bear his marks are personal and infinite in value. So the principle of evolution, so Darwin has a lot to, um, he'll have a lot to explain, is one of the key principles behind abortion, because it says we're just animals, we're just sophisticated animals. So there's no difference whether you kill a cow or a goat or a chicken or a person or an unborn child, because we're all just animals. There's no ultimate basis for opposing abortion. Do you know that with Hitler, he did not start with killing Jews. They started medical experiments with disabled people. So they took disabled people, and they did experiments, and many of them died. Because what he was saying, basically, Hitler, is you can be human, but because you are disabled, you're not a person. Therefore, we can do experiments with you. And if you die, well, that's tough luck. That's, you see, that's where Hitler's coming from, even though he may not have known that. Where you are saying there's a certain kind of life which is not worthy of living, which is not worthy of protecting. But we don't believe that. We say however deformed, however retarded, however unwanted, however old, however sick, we are nonetheless unique and special. We are valued. We should be protected. Why? Because we bear the marks of God. So the bottom line with abortion is not medicine or economics or poverty or population growth or emotions or personal circumstances. The bottom line is human beings from conception till death have infinite value, ought to be protected and valued and given great dignity. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. Francis Schaeffer said, we ought always to oppose the approval of the view that there is such a thing as human life which is not worthy to be lived. Now, 
the Bible doesn't give us a definition of human life. It's not a university textbook. It's not a manual. But wherever it touches on human life, particularly in this particular area, it gives no dichotomy, no dualism between an unborn child and a child. It regards both with value and dignity in every instance. Let me give you a couple of examples. Let's go to that passage that, that Christina read to us, Psalm 139. The psalmist, Psalm of David, verse 13. Um, <clears throat> what you need to notice is, is that the pronouns that David uses of the unborn child himself when he was unborn and the pronouns he uses after his birth are the same, me, my, I. For you formed, God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. So what is David doing? He's praising God. He's thanking God that God is the one who created him. In the womb. In the unseen place. In secret. And he regards himself. He uses the same personal pronouns for himself before he was born and after he was born. Turn back to Psalm 51 verse 5. The same David who committed those sins of adultery of murder, of deceit. Uh, it's a wonderful psalm of confession, and I hope you use it as I do. But notice what he says, verse 5. Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, he's not saying that his mother sinned when she conceived. She was not unmarried. She was married. No, what he is saying is, I have been a moral agent from birth. From con not from birth, from conception. I've been a moral agent. I'm depraved, I'm sinful. Sin has been programmed into that one cell clinging to my mother's womb from the moment of conception. In the Old Testament, the word for baby is yehed. That's the Hebrew word. And the same word is used for the unborn child and the born child. The same word. Same thing in the New Testament. Quickly have a look at Luke. Luke chapter 1. Interesting. Luke chapter 1 verse 41. Here you have Elizabeth, the mother of John. John the Baptist. Being visited by Mary, the mother of Jesus. And uh, so I'm just showing you some grammar. I'm showing you some uh, um, Greek vocabulary. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's the Greek word brephos, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then if you have a look at chapter 2, verse 16, with the birth of Jesus, have you got it there? Chapter 2, verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the briefos lying in a manger. Same word. Now, now, one wouldn't build a case just on one or two words, but collectively, when you take the witness of Scripture, Old New Testament, if you build it on Genesis chapter 126, that we are made in the image of God, when you bring it collectively together, there is no, there's no uncertainty, there's no confusion that the scripture makes no distinction between the unborn child and the born child. None whatsoever. And therefore, we are to be, as Christians, people who affirm the value of all human beings, however, however uh, handicapped, however... Uh, physically, mentally handicapped, however old, however young, uh, we are to value every individual, every human being made in the image of God. Because, be, 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 because if we're made in the image of God, we have infinite value. All right, we're going to have a look at some slides. And uh, there's some beautiful slides. 
and then I will warn you when we get to the abortion slide. So if you have had an abortion, if you cause someone to have, have had an abortion, if you find it difficult seeing uh, blood, then I would strongly encourage you to close your eyes and uh, not look at those slides. They are not pretty, uh, but there are 56 million abortions every year. And when we talk about abortion, I think it's helpful for us to understand what we are talking about. So let's hit the lights and uh, let's get the slides. All right, we're going to look at the fetal development. First slide is four weeks. Now, human life doesn't begin at four weeks. It starts at naught weeks, and it begins at conception. Each of us started as one cell, a fertilized ovum. And contained in that one cell are 46 chromosomes, and in those chromosomes, in that one cell clinging to your mother's womb, is a blueprint for everything you are. Your height, your shape, the color of your eyes, the color of your hair, your weight, your shoe size, it's all there. By 18 days, the human heart starts to beat. Six weeks, the fetus moves in the womb. There are brain waves that are measurable. Seven weeks, the baby starts developing the pancreas, the bladder, the kidneys, the, the lungs, the larynx. Eight weeks, all the key body parts have started developing in every part of the human being. Eight weeks, here we have some toes. Some of you used to have lovely toes. Well, there they are at eight weeks. At 11 weeks, the baby has fingerprints. Do you know that? Fingerprints on the feet, on the on the fingers, the baby breathes the amniotic fluid. It urinates. There are bowel movements. Twelve weeks, the baby is sensitive to touch, to light, to noise. In fact, if, uh, if a pin or something uh, pricks the baby, it will withdraw out of pain. At this stage, twelve weeks, you can determine the gender. Twelve weeks, let's have a look at the ear. There's the lovely little ear at 12 weeks. Here's 14 weeks where we, see, where we see the little baby, we see the hands. Here's 16 weeks, um, uh, very much formed at this stage. And, of course, abortions occur at this stage. 16 weeks, uh, there's the head, the hands. Another 16 weeks, look at the legs, see the, see, the, um, see the veins, how beautiful it is. Here we have a baby at 20 weeks starting to suck uh, his or her thumb. So all of us were beautiful at some stage. Even where's Rafa? Rafa, we, even you. <laughs> even Rafa, who was leading us this morning, was beautiful at some stage. Now a good question to ask yourself is what is that? Is it a cow? Is it a fish? Is it a snake? It's a human being. Amelia Taylor at 21 weeks, 21 weeks after being conceived, was born. There you see her little body. Next slide, you see her body in her father or mother's hands. See how small she is. Here you see her feet at 21 weeks. That's 21 weeks after being conceived. And here's Amelia Taylor, the same Amelia Taylor at five months. That's a little girl, isn't it? Where did she come from? Marcus Richardson, also born, 21 months, not a good slide, but the nurse has taken her wedding ring and put it around his arm. He also lived. Next slide, mom and dad are waiting for Rachel to die. Rachel is only 22 weeks old after conception. Here's a picture of Rachel at six months old. Next slide is what we looked at, what, what we all looked like at 24 weeks. Uh, I think that's a boxer, isn't that a boxer? <laughs> Next slide, 33 weeks, born prematurely. 
Next slide, 35 weeks born prematurely. Abortions occur at 35 weeks. All right, we're now going to look at some abortion slides. You may want to close your eyes. They are not pretty. I'm going to mention some of the main um, means of abortion. Let's have a look at the first one. It's called suction or suction aspiration or vacuum, where a small tube is inserted into the uterus and the unborn child is sucked out, very much like a vacuum cleaner. You can see the size, the small size, by the coin that was put there just to show how small it is. Normally the first trimester. Next slide is dilation and curatage, D and C, where the baby is scraped out. So there are specially designed equipment for abortions and uh, the baby is scraped out of the uterus and then pulled out, normally the end of the first trimester. The next form of abortion uh, is also dilation and, and, and evacuation. That's just from the previous one. Let's have a look at the saline poisoning. Uh, it's also called installation abortion, normally in the second trimester, where a concentrated salt solution is injected into the amniotic sac. The baby breathes in the salt liquid. It's poisoned to death. The skin and flesh is burnt. The baby is expelled in a birth process. Never dies under one hour. Often called a candy apple baby because the outer layer of skin is burnt off. The next slide is also saline poisoning and you can see the birth marks, burn marks. Next slide is partial birth, 26 to 32 weeks. The legs are pulled out, the skull is pierced, the brain is sucked out, the head collapses, and all the pieces are pulled out. The next slide is a partial birth and decapitation called DNX or DNX. The last slide is called hysterotomy. All it is is a C-section. Um, but the purpose of the C-section is that the baby should die and not live. Often it is left in a bowl and it's left to die. Almost always at a hysterotomy, the baby will breathe, will move, and some of them will cry. Well, let's stop the slides. It's hard not to be emotional. Let me quickly, as we start ending off, three objections. Let me have a look at that. The first objection is that abortion ought to be every woman's choice. It's her right over her own body. Someone said a woman ought to have the right to choose what she does with her body. It's a fundamental human right. Now, you need to know that I totally agree with that. And part of the history of that has been the abuse of women, which we as Christians would totally, totally disagree with, the abuse of women. But though we agree that a woman has a right over her own body, our argument is there's another little body inside of her. And that little body also has rights. In actual fact, the fact scientifically, we know that it's another body because of the placenta and the umbilical cord. Without the placenta and the umbilical cord, you would not have a separate human being. Those are essential. So scientifically, it's a different little body. It's alive. It's breathing. Amniotic fluid. The mother is only giving that little body temporary refuge and a home. So I would agree that every woman has a right over her body, but I would also fight for the right of the unborn child, which is another little body. Doesn't that body have rights? So in a sense, abortion is the ultimate child abuse, the ultimate discrimination. It makes the unborn child the most unprotected, defenseless member of the human race. Second objection, don't unwanted children usually end up battered or abused later in life? Well, there's no proof of that whatsoever. Um, all the stats I looked at um, 
show no proof of that. In actual fact, since 1973 within the USA, from 1973 to 1991, the incidences of abuse of children increased by 1,500%. So if there is any evidence with the, with the legalization of abortion within the USA, there has been an increase of abuse, which in a sense makes sense. If I didn't abort the kid beforehand, well, what's wrong with knocking around the kid now? Third objection, what about rape victims? Now, let me say that we would, we would all agree that rape is the most terrible, terrible, terrible violent act. Um, I cannot comprehend or think of anything worse. In my opinion, for the rapist, there should be a life and a real life sentence at the least. That would be my opinion. Um, I'm a man, so that, that possibility would not arise. But nonetheless, there's no question. And the woman here will know that it is one of the most terrible, horrible, violent acts that can happen to a woman. However, abortion does not de-rape the mother. It doesn't eliminate the trauma. It actually adds another trauma. So you don't solve one problem with another problem. Why should we punish or kill the innocent child because of the sin of the father? I'm going to show you a short video cut. A lady called Pam Stenzel, she's a Christian lady, she's a social worker, she's worked with tens of thousands of girls at crisis pregnancy centers. And uh, she tells her story and she talks about choosing adoption rather than abortion. Just so that you catch the first line, it comes on you quite quickly. The first line Pam Stenzel says, 45 years ago, a young 15-year-old became pregnant. And then she explains that. Let's hit the lights and let's have that short video clip. 45 years ago, a young 15-year-old became pregnant. She had a lot of difficult choices to make, maybe more so than some teenage girls because she was raped. And uh, this particular young girl chose to give her child life and then to place that child with an adoptive family and that child was me. My biological father is a rapist. I don't even know my ethnicity, but I am still a human being, and I still have value, and my life is not worth less than yours simply because of the way I was conceived, and I don't believe that I deserve the death penalty because of the crime of my biological father. I've never met my birth mom. Someday I hope to. Uh, if not here on earth, I'm going to meet her in heaven. I've been praying for her since I was four. And when we meet someday, I'm going to wrap my arms around her. I'm going to tell her I love her because she loved me, loved me enough to give me my life. And then I believe loved me enough to give me the next most special gift I was ever given. And that's my family. I always knew I was adopted. That was a kind of a given in our family. I don't remember the moment that I was told it was kind of a good thing. I mean, I remember going to kindergarten going, you know, I'm Pam and I'm adopted thinking that was a really cool thing. And and then later finding out that all the other kids didn't think it was as cool as I did. But, but in my family, the adoption was always positive. We were chosen. We were valued. Why don't I have information about my birth father? I, I have been given the information, at least the non-identifying information about birth mom and, and nothing about uh, birth father. And that's when she told me that, that my birth mother had been raped and that she had been a, a foster child and had been in the system herself. Did you really, really plan me? Because if you planned me, then, then how would this young 15-year-old girl believe that, that, that the rape was planned? And, and, you know, it takes years to, I think, unpack this theology. But what we have to come under, to understand at the end of the day, what we need to get is this, that what my birth father did was dirty, stinky, filthy, rotten sin. And my existence does not now or ever justify rape. However, I am still a gift from God. Abortion will always seem like the immediate fix. When you're in a crisis and you're in pain, the first immediate guttural response is, I just don't want to be pregnant. And I would just plead with you to give some time 
don't do the the first thing that seems right because what seems right in the short term is what's going to bring you so much pain down the road and what might be very very difficult to do and that's to go through the pregnancy to deal with all of the the not just the physical changes but everybody finding out and the, the very public thing with the pregnancy and then the grief of either placing or, or making plans to parent a child even though that's a very painful in the short run the long term you, you will always look back and go, you know what, it was the hardest thing I ever did, but I made the right choice. And, uh, you know, the world today wants you to do what's easy, what feels good now. Just resist that temptation. There's help. There are people who love you. There are people who want to wrap their arms around you and walk alongside you. It will be painful, but it will be well worth it when you look back. What an extraordinary story. She doesn't know her ethnicity because her father was a rapist. But she says, I'm still a human being. I still have value. My life is not worth less than yours. I don't deserve the death penalty because of the action of my father. I'm still a gift from God. Let me close with two points. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Turn to that and uh, two more points and then we're done. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Paul speaks quite strongly here, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty strong language. And we're all there, by the way. Aren't we? We're all there. And then he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The gospel says to us, sinners, all of us, swindlers, thieves, greedy, adulterers, those who've had an abortion, those who caused an abortion, there's grace, there's love, there's forgiveness in Christ. That is the gospel. That should be the message of our church. To those of you who've perhaps had an abortion, perhaps still struggling with that, you need to know there's grace, there's forgiveness, and there's love and support from our church. Let's pray and I'm dreaming that we can start a pregnancy help center where we can help people who are struggling with these things. And let me just say that if you do have difficulties, I'll be available afterwards, but you may want to call me or call Kate or one of our workers. If you are struggling with these things, we would love to help you and meet with you and pray with you and um, walk a journey with you. 